Welcome to Group Talk, a podcast conversation focused on relevant issues for leaders of small group ministries. Whether you are a church of 100 or 10,000, whether you are a lay leader or staff, we want to encourage, equip, and challenge you to thrive in your ministry context. The Small Group Network exists to inspire, inform, support, and resource one another because we are better together. Now, let's get ready for today's episode of Group Talk. Welcome to Group Talk. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Carolyn Takeda, your host and the Executive Director of Small Groups at Calvary Community Church in Westlake Village, California. Well, as we work in small groups ministry all around the world, it's so easy to get focused on our local environments, on our churches, and on all the little details of our ministry. And of course, that's necessary in our roles, and we need to do a good job with that. But once in a while, it's really good to lift our heads from our daily work and consider the bigger picture of small groups ministries. We need a broader perspective and understanding of the church, um, big C, capital C, and look at what are the movements or trends that are emerging in the country or in the world. And especially, what is the younger generation thinking about? What are they dreaming about when it comes to small groups, especially those in seminaries and Christian universities? And so to discuss these bigger questions of small groups ministry philosophy and the emerging trends that we see is our guest today, Michael Mack. Mike, thanks for being on the program. Thank you, Carolyn. Well, Mike, uh, if you have not heard of him already, most of you probably have. He's been involved in discipleship and small groups ministry for more than 25 years, and most recently at the Northeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky. He founded smallgroups.com in 1996 and has led small group training seminars across the U.S. and Canada and Brazil. He's a consultant, and he also leads a ministry called Small Group Leadership. He has a very active website there has written eight books. I think I've read maybe four. So it's pretty good, half, um, on, yeah. so on groups and discipleship. And most recently, uh, really recently, the world's greatest uh, small group. And he's currently an adjunct professor at Cincinnati Christian University and teaches a class on small group ministry and discipling. Um, so you've been active in small group land for a really long time. Yeah, I have. Yeah. Which, like, like you said, like I guess 25 years or so. Yeah, which means you have a lot of wisdom to bear on this topic. Um, so let's uh, let's start off with this. As you've been teaching this class um, of young people, millennials, what are some things that you have learned in the classroom, and what, are, what how are they thinking about small groups ministries? Well, yeah, it, I, I found it interesting just this this past class that I taught, uh, which was back in January. That I, I take some time at the beginning and I give them a little background on the history of small groups, particularly the history of the small group movement here in the United States, and uh, also how that's uh, worked its way around the world as well. But one of the things I do is I try to bring that up to date and then even look at, at the future a little bit. And particularly this year, I thought it was really interesting that they have a little bit different perspective on the small group movement and where it's going, and then even ministry in general. Um, they they kind of see a, a change in the way that we even, I think, perceive ministry, that w- hmm. the way that we look at ministry itself and how that might influence the way we do small groups and churches. Um, they were really passionate about the priesthood of all believers. Hmm. And I think, you know, we're all kind of passionate about that. We understand (laughs) the priesthood of all believers, but they really talked about the priesthood of all believers as, as, as living that out 
in the way that we do ministry in the churches. Uh, really giving ownership of ministry back to the people where it ought to be. Do they feel you like know, that which, hasn't happened? Do they feel like they haven't grown up with that? Or that, that when they look at churches, do they not see that happening? Yeah, I think they don't see it. I think they see more, you know, more control hmm. um, by church leadership, um, more like, you know, do it this way and you know, here's the sign-up sheets to get into small groups, or you have to come to this function to get into a small group and so forth. And they were looking at it more, I guess I would say organically, more naturally, just let people gather in groups, you know, give them the power to grab a few friends and do ministry together, to disciple one another. And they were even like, I'm, we're not even sure we call that small groups the way that we traditionally use the word small groups in a lot of churches. Right. But okay, what you just said, though, the gather a few friends and have a group together, isn't that the host strategy that Saddleback has made famous for the past decade? It's, it, it is sort of the host strategy, but then it's also just, it, it, it's, it's partly that, but it's also leveraging the connections that you already have in your life. Yeah, unpack um, that for us. What do you mean? Well, I, I'm, I'm actually just right now reading Alan White's new book, Exponential Groups, which really is a great book. Um, and he, it, one of the, the very first thing, in fact, I think it's the very first thing that he says in the book is um, that people are already in small groups. People in your church are already in small groups, so start to recognize the groups that they already have rather than the formal structures of small groups that we try to implement mm -hmm. as as ministers. So when he's talking I, about I, groups, he's talking like people have what their um, neighborhood uh, groups or their reading group or wine group or baseball or I mean, he's talking about that kind of stuff. It might be even more informal than that of, of like the neighbors that you tend to hang out with or the mm -hmm. people that you uh, work with. Um, uh, I, I think back of when my kids were younger, they're a little bit older now, but when my kids were younger, we hung out a lot at in basketball gyms sure, and baseball fields. <laughs> yes. And we <laughs> always saw the same parents like every week. Right. And I think about the missed opportunities that we may have had with those people. Some of them were Christians and went to another church, but a lot of them were not. And we had our standard small group that we went to, but I wonder if we missed opportunities with where God was placing us already mm. with these people that he was putting in our midst. But the idea of leveraging those relationships, I, I get that. Um, but don't you think our culture also has such a resistance, especially the younger people, to, to agendas? So if they think, okay, you're hanging out on the basketball sidelines um, and on those bleachers, and you're very intentionally trying to, you know, build this relationship so that you can spring Jesus on them or invite them to your house for a Bible study, um, you're not seeing my air quotes, of course, but I'm having air quotes. Um, that 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 has some some less that feels less organic in some ways in our culture than. Um, if you have something that's more structured, you know what I mean? Like people don't want to be um, sold. They just want to relate. I agree with that. And I, my, the students in my class would probably say the exact same thing as you just did. And I, I think we need an agenda, but not our own agenda. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we go in with God's agenda, which is to build relationships with people 
that he wants us to build relationships with. The, the greatest command is that we just, we love people, you know, and when we say neighbor, you know, my neighbors could be the people that I'm sitting on a bench next to at a baseball game. Sure. And, and, and to simply love them. I'll give another example is I'm, I'm a big, I'm big into mountain biking and, you know, getting out on my bike and riding around all the trails here in Louisville, Kentucky. And, we get out and ride on the roads too. Well, we've got a big group of people that we ride with, and a couple of the guys in this group are not Christians, and we are not trying to look for an opportunity. Well, I don't want to say it that way. We are not trying to spring Jesus on them out of the blue. Mm-hmm. We're looking for opportunities in our relationships with these guys to bring bring in Jesus to take Jesus right into the environment where we already are with these people. Is that any different than relational evangelism that we've known no. about for decades? Yeah, it's, I think I think it's very, it's pretty much the same. One of my favorite authors uh, back, you know, I guess 20 years ago, Jim Peterson mm-hmm. wrote books about lifestyle yes, evangelism. Yes. And I think it's the same kind of thing. I'm, I'm not sure that we ever really grasped what like Jim Peterson and Joe Altrich and Rebecca Peterson and some of those are Rebecca Pippert. So what some of those folks were saying back in the day, I wonder if we're more ready for it today than we were then. Yeah. I, I you know, I want to go back to what you said about um, the priesthood of all believers, because that, that seems to echo what we see in our culture, um, especially in startup companies and, uh, um, the tech sector as well, but even just even general business culture, the trend is really towards flat leadership structures. It's towards less hierarchy, more egalitarian, more about what do you bring to the table. Um, you don't have this, you know, march your seniority based at all. Um, and I think and some of our younger churches and church plants are probably also more that way. So that makes sense that that you know, your students would be gravitating towards something that's already happening in our culture. But I wonder, Mike, do you think it's dangerous, though, or there's a caution that, does that mean you lower the bar for small group leaders to, to a place that anyone can lead or anyone can, um, you know, can just grab some people and just do it, and we just, as churches, allow that to happen? Or how do you, there seems to be a tension between, yes, we do want a priesthood of all believers, but at the same time, we've been entrusted with leadership and spiritual oversight. So how do you reconcile those pieces? Um, I think we all as leaders have a couple choices to make. We, we either high control or high trust. And I tend personally, towards lower control and higher trust. But I also believe in what I call train and trust. Now, not that I made that up. But That's pretty catchy. Just, but, but, but train and trust. And, you know, let's train our leaders well and then trust them to do what we're training them to do. Just trust them to do that, you know, what we're equipping them with. But then also we need to be able to trust the Holy Spirit in the process of all of that. And so that's when I'm teaching um, in in churches or in my seminary class or whatever, we talk a lot about that, what that looks like, how that plays itself out as you lead. Um, I I, I think a lot of uh, leaders can start as with a, a relatively low bar, as a facilitator, as a host. 
as somebody who basically just grabs a few friends and uses a DVD and puts it in and then discusses what's going on there. But then I think we can take them and equip them to get even better at their job so that they can become real shepherds of those people that God's entrusting them with. And I, I'm passionate about that. I'm passionate about shepherd leaders because I think they're the ones who will ultimately make a difference in people's lives. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. So maybe the um, you start out with a low bar, but not that's not the end. Um, that's a sustainability, right? Any small group ministry yeah. that's going to be sustainable is going to require some sort of uh, structure and oversight yeah. and shepherding of, of those leaders, as you talked about. Um, in our church, we talk a lot in leadership about the lattice and the vine. And for us, it's a way to talk about organization and organism together so that the organization is the lattice. That's the structure. That's my job. That's, you know, what a lot of us do, the coaches do. But really, we want to allow the the vine to flourish as the spirit leads, and we want to give our leaders freedom to do that. But every so often, though, I mean, you need the lattice. <laughs> Otherwise, um, it's not as likely that growth will happen. I love that illustration. I've, I've talked about it as far as the human body as well. And because we are the churches, the body of Christ, but we need a skeleton system, right, in our bodies in order to to be able to live. But when when you are when you see the skeleton system too much in yeah. somebody's body, it's that means they're not really healthy. <laughs> right. They're not healthy at all. Right. You know, so so you know, we don't want the skeleton system, the the structure of all this, to be so obvious that it just controls everything in our ministries. We want um, we want the the ministry to be happening uh, by people who are just carrying out the mission that Jesus gave them to do and the calling that Jesus gave to them. Our job is to equip them to be able to do that, not to control yeah, every right. aspect of it. Right, right. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, let me ask you this. You know, in the past, with, you know, kind of ebb and flow of the small groups movement, there's been times where the emphasis has really been using small groups to close the back door or for assimilation within the church. And then there's been times with the, with the missional church movement for a while, um, and missional groups was a big thing, and books written about that, seminars on that. Um, then it was about that outreach piece being predominant and not about assimilation. Do you, I mean, what... What do you see happening now? Do you think we're just kind of going back to um, to something we've seen before? Do you think this is a fresh wind, or what? What are you you detecting? I think there is a fresh wind that we 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 we, we had about an hour long conversation about this in our in our class. Now we need two <laughs> and, minutes now. <laughs> yeah, I know, it, it, and I'm trying to summarize that because it's it's um, a, there's a fresh wind, but I'm not sure anybody really gets what it is yet. Mm. Except that I, I think it, I think we're tending back towards holistic type groups, um, groups that are. You, you look at a small group and you see the body of Christ in action. We, we say body of Christ, and sometimes we think of an entire church, but just to bring that down to the level of a small group of eight, ten, twelve people, whatever, who are living out their mission as the body of Christ, which means everything. It means that they're building community sure. with one another. It means that they're, they're, there's some mutual discipleship, mutual edification happening among them. There's, they're worshiping God because 
how can you meet in Christ's presence and not worship him? They're they're reaching out to their neighbors because they know they're right. lost, and that's our mission. And they're serving other people. And it's it's not a one or the other, like like there's some choice. It's the beauty of the and. Right. And so right. just be in the body of Christ, whatever that means for them and their group. Do you think the Acts 2 model, which is what you just described, of, you know, life together, basically, in mm-hmm. every aspect of it, that it's it seems so much more challenging now in our 21st century and the kind of lifestyle that most of us have, especially in the U.S., and the busyness and the isolation, um, the disconnectedness. It, it just almost seems like the Acts 2 thing in their culture, which is agar- agrarian, it's uh, family-based, relational, uh, you know, it seems just tougher, or is that, am I just being cynical? Am I giving us, us an out, or does it really, does it actually do seem harder to have that kind of holistic life together? I've, I've heard that a lot, and I, I don't want, I don't want to, like, get us off the hook here, you know, like, like, give an excuse for not doing our ministry and, and carrying out the one another's of the New Testament just because it's difficult, mm-hmm. Um, in today's culture, um, I believe we still can do it, but um, I think we can still um, do what the New Testament did, um, but it's got to start with us as individuals, not just the leaders, but the people in the group too. It, it's it's not just a one aspect of our lives, mm-hmm. this this community we have with Jesus and the community we have with one another, it's the way that we approach life, that we're going to do it in communion with God and in community with one another. And um, one of the things I've been thinking about a lot lately is how when we are spending time with God ourselves, so you take a whole group of, say, 10 people, and each one of them are spending time with God. Now, again, we can't make excuses like we're just too busy for that. Right. <laughs> because right. that's that's a part of what it means to be a disciple of Christ, Absolutely. a follower yes. of Christ. And then we, we, we get together with, you know, a few other people, you know, once a week or whenever. And... And, and that continues. The, 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 the power that, that God's pouring into each one of us overflows into the lives of one another as well. And that's what I see community really being. Does that make sense? I- yes, yes, it does, I guess. And I totally agree with you. I don't think we should give ourselves an out of any of the commands in Scripture, much less something as central as community and the one another's. I guess where the challenge is, is you know, and, and you're right, that it's not just the leader. It really has to be everyone buying in. That was the back to the priesthood of all believers again. But that seems to be a really hard thing in our culture. Um, I hear from leaders quite often that they're trying, we, we train them to try to give away and give ownership of the group. And yet um, they keep finding it defaulting back because um, there's a lot of desire to be spoon fed or desire to do less or as you said it it becomes a small group and church and life with god becomes a compartmentalized piece rather than the whole so how do we inspire people to to see it in in a holistic way and to intentionally create space for that yeah that's that's a great question I, i i think you know i need to get back to the the question of why is living that type of a lifestyle, the, the lifestyle that we see in the New Testament. 
um, that kind of a community lifestyle, why is that a challenge today? And we can blame a lot of different things. We can talk about consumerism. We can, sure. uh, and we we can talk about media, you know, social media, and that we're so tied to our cell phones. I mean, right. it's sad that we don't have the emotional intelligence. A lot of people don't have the emotional intelligence today to have a face-to-face conversation and have authentic community with a few other people. And, but but they have a face to face with their cell phones, right? And, and yeah, that gets in the way of all that. And and so there are a lot of challenges to that. And I think we need to approach those challenges. So at our church right now, Northeast Christian in, here in Louisville, just this past week we started a new series. It's just a three week series, but it's it's talking just about that. It's talking about how social media. How, you know, being tied so much to our phones is affecting us. And it's not like a negative towards all social media. Right. It's a, I mean, it's a tool. So it's just a matter that. of control. It's, it, and it's a great tool. In fact, there's in a lot of ways it connects us to people that we yes. have become disconnected from in our lives. But at the same time, are we losing relational intelligence with the people who are sitting right across from us at a table or in a small group? Are we able to relate to one another as we used to be able to do. And have we become so consumeristic that we we join a small group just to get something out of it for us, just for us, not to not to go and to want to be able to give, to invest into other people. Right. But just to consume. And if that's if that's an issue, then as churches, I think, as church leaders, we can start to approach that and do what Northeast is doing. And to start talking about that and talk about it openly and figure out ways that we can move past that so that we can have that kind of, because if we cannot do community with one another, if we don't have that kind of relational intelligence anymore, then we need to rebuild that in order for small groups ever to be able to have a chance of working well. That's true. I think we almost have to reteach, especially with the younger generation that grew up and doesn't know life any different than social yeah. media and the screens. That That's pretty much how the interactions have happened. Um, maybe part of the problem that for us to address would be, you know, you said it earlier, this idea of compartmentalizing, right? So, Traditionally, if you think of small groups and your your religious activities, whatever they may be, small group, church attendance, prayer, whatever, as being separate from the rest of your life, then I think it's it's easier to not engage fully in community. You know, it's a sacred, secular difference. Uh, how do we um, how do we live more holistically so that those two pieces are together, and then then you actually do have a missional element. Yeah, you know that does doesn't that just come back to each of our own relationships with God? Yeah, I mean because I find that when I spend time with God and I'm not rushing it, you know that's that's another thing. The the, the whole idea of you know five minute Bible studies and stuff like that, which I guess <laughs> is great for for beginners, but you know if you've been a Christian for a few years and you're still tied to five minute Bible studies, I think. It's not so much that that's bad. It's just that you're missing so much. Mm-hmm. And when I'm spending time with God and I get into his word and I'm praying and I'm just taking some time to do some personal worship, I mean, I'm just listening to worship songs and, and singing along and just worshiping my God. And I mean, and when I'm doing that, it changes me from the inside out. 
and that's why I say, you know, in, in order to be able to get through this whole issue where this there's separation between the sacred and the secular, um, in order to get past that, I think it begins with our own relationships with God. So, and doesn't that get back to discipleship? When people are <laughs> growing in their relationships with God, when they when they first become Christians, are we taking the time to really invest into them and help them figure out what it really means to be a follower of Christ? And I can tell you, I've been uh, I've been a Christ follower now for half of my life. I became a Christian when I was 28. I'm now 56. And through many of those years, as I've worked in churches or I've just talked to other ministers in churches or consulted or whatever, I've seen that we feel like we're missing a lot of that. Like we're not, mm-hmm. you know, we, we're really, we're, 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 we're getting people to church. We're, we're connecting them. We're, you know, getting them, you know, to be members of the church and whatever else baptized and all of those other things. But, I'm not sure if we've really figured out well how to take those people and really one-on-one or whatever it takes to help them become a fully functioning follower of Christ. I think that is the million-dollar question and process that every church probably struggles with. Um, I know we do, and we keep trying different things, and small groups is a piece of that. Um, As long as it's not a program, as long as it's... It is the relational uh, one another's aspect of it, which seems to be what your students are craving. Yeah, and we've we've thrown a lot of programs at it. You know, we've yes. thrown a lot of programs and, and and stuff at it. But to me, it's got to be life on life, and then using a tool. You know, using the tools that are out there, and there are a lot of great tools out there. But when we start to depend on the tools to do the job of discipleship, then it just it becomes a program. And that hasn't worked real well. Then it's back the to years, the skeleton, yes. <laughs> right. So, so, it, but, but helping people and even freeing people up mm-hmm. to walk alongside somebody and help invest into them to help them to know what it means to really live as a Christian, that's, that's, where it com- that's what it comes down to, in my opinion. Well, I, I could see why um, you wrote your new book, because that's I hear <laughs> echoes of that language. Um, and so before, before we end, I do want us to talk about your book, um, World's Greatest Small Group. And uh, I gave my kids a quiz last night, and I said, hey, who's the world's greatest small group leader? And like good Sunday school kids, they said, Jesus. <laughs> so there we are. Right. They've been trained, um, but you talk about the powerful traits of a life-changing leader, and I want to ask you, you know, what led you to write the book, and who would you uh, recommend read it? Okay, well, so I wrote it for people. I'll, ask the, I'll answer the uh, last question first. <laughs> the, I wrote it for ordinary, unschooled people, you know, just the, the regular folks who um, – might be hosting a group, they might be facilitating a small group, they might be considered a leader or whatever name we throw out there. Or maybe they're not even in that position. They're just they're in a group. And um, may, perhaps God's sort of tugging on their heart to to lead a group, or maybe it's just somebody who wouldn't even consider themselves a leader, but they've got a few friends that they might want to invite over for coffee once a week and hang out with and talk about you know, last Sunday's 
sermon or hmm. just open the Bible and start talking. And so I wrote the, the book for all of those all of those folks. Um, I have a real heart, a real passion for ordinary, unschooled people um, because I believe that if they're equipped well, they can do extraordinary things. So that's who I wrote the book for. That um, makes sense. Yeah, and, and and part of the reason I wrote it, and part of the reason that I called it "World's Greatest Small Group," that sounds, I don't know, it it, it sounds <laughs> a high bar. Like, it's I, a very high bar. Yeah, it, it is, and so of course, the world's greatest small group would be Jesus' group, since yes. he's the world's greatest small group leader. But you think about who was in that group, and we all know, you know, sure. who those who those men were, and they were unschooled, ordinary guys. Mm -hmm. There was nothing special about them except that Jesus saw something in them that he could build his church upon, which is amazing that he right. he chose those, those guys. So, so you see that they're even considered unschooled, ordinary guys, even after Jesus' resurrection, even after his ascension. And yet, they did some world-changing things. Right. Uh, we're here today because of those small guys, <laughs> and because those guys spent that time with Jesus. Yeah. And so there's something there's something powerful about that. Um, so that's that's Acts four thirteen, and that that's part of it. But the other part of it is that what Jesus said, and I believe it's I believe it's John fourteen twelve where Jesus is talking to his disciples, but he's really talking about us. And he says, what I have done, he says, you can do even greater things, even greater works than I have done. Which is amazing. Because, <laughs> because I'm going to the Father. And if you think about that, he's basically saying, if, if he's saying, if, if we're saying that that group was the world's greatest small group, then our groups can be world-changing as well. Hmm. Our groups can be powerful and can do great works. And I really believe that uh, with all my heart. And so the seven, the seven qualities of a powerful leader that I talk about in each of the seven chapters are the seven things that you see inside of Jesus yes. as he led his group. And you see not only that he had these things, but you see how they worked themselves out as he led his group. Right. And those are the same qualities that you and I can um, experience as well and that we can lead with as well. And when we do those things, because it all comes from the heart, it's all an overflow of our hearts, then I, I believe, really believe that we can lead what I call great small groups. <laughs> you know, and I really enjoyed the book. And actually, my favorite part of the book was a section on the role of a shepherd leader and actually an under-shepherd leader. Um, and the idea that you need to be a leader that guides people um, intentionally towards spiritual growth. And throughout the book, actually, Mike, it's, there's a lot of practical, helpful steps on how to do it. You kind of, you break down each of those seven chapters. And then if that's an area of growth for, um, for a leader, then there's these practical next steps in there built in. And, um, I think, you know, yes, you geared the book for ordinary, uh, people that are just in a group or might think about leading a group. I also thought it was helpful for us as ministry point leaders um, because there's just some material in there to kind of glean and go, okay, that's another way to think about how we can train 
um, our leaders because our goal is the same, and we want to have you know fruit producing, effective discipling, disciples making disciples type of group, um, and that's what you address in here. So it's an excellent book, and I you know I'm, in the back of my mind, I had my specific target of the leader, him or herself. But I also recognize that the staff member, you know, the person who's sure. leading the small group charge in the church would read this and hopefully maybe even, you know, consider using it to train and coach their leaders. In fact, a, a, a small group coach could take these seven vital signs and build discussions with their leaders around those those seven things. I, know you I just said vital signs. I just did. Book. You just did. <laughs> vital signs, which is another book, which actually I have used as a coaching tool. So there, there you are. That's probably the one that you may be most known for, at least in the last 10 years or so. Um, I believe but so. yeah. yeah, but thank you so much for your time. And I invite you guys to check out um, his book. And you can get that on Amazon and all the other places. And also, Mike has a great website, smallgroupleadership.com. He, there's so many free resources. You really do give freely to the church, and thank you for that. Um, and there's Tips Weekly. I'm on his email thing, so I get tips um, for leaders. Sometimes I'll just attach that to an email I'm sending to leaders uh, when I find stuff, which I hope is okay, because you know that's what I do. With Absolutely. <laughs> that's why I do it. That's yep. why I do it. So, um, so go ahead on his website and check that out. And Mike is also part of this small group network and our communications team, and he's on our Facebook page as well. So if you have any questions or you want to carry on the conversation or have anything you want to ask him, uh, feel free to post on there, and Mike will see it and respond. Um, So, Mike, thank you so much. God bless you and your ministry, and good luck with this book. Thank you so much, Carolyn. Well, thank you all for listening to Group Talk. If you like what you hear, please leave us a rating on iTunes. That helps other ministry leaders find us, and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Group Talk. We invite you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes so you can get new episodes downloaded automatically. Also, if you wouldn't mind doing us a favor, please rate the podcast and leave comments so other small group ministry leaders can easily find us. To connect with a small group network huddle in your local area, read our blog, join us on Facebook, or access additional resources. Visit our website at smallgroupnetwork.com. Remember to use the hashtag when engaging with your social media channels. Thank you for your support.